Hi, and welcome back to Politodoxy. I'm your host, Aaron Friedman. Today's, today we have a guest whose name is Natalie Jean Beisner, who is an ex-Democrat now, as on her uh, social media bio says, turned to a sane person, which is amazing because we are, because it's great to have Democrats with uh, who changed and became conservative to get their point of view on how conservatives could change their language in regarding to speaking to Democrats being more effective in language. And now she does, she does social media videos, making short content for people to, to see and to consume, to see what her point of view on the political realm. And as I understand, also you're pro-life, which is also awesome. So I would like to first, uh, like, I would like you first to introduce yourself on your own terms and we will continue on from there. Yeah, you covered it. I like to say that I was a former atheist, Democrat, feminist, liberal, um, using that word loosely. I don't know that they're very liberal nowadays. And uh, now I'm a Christian conservative commentator. Well, that's awesome. So uh, first question is, I would like to know what caused you to walk away from the Democratic Party? Uh, it was, in retrospect, I realized the seeds have been planted prior to this. Um, but it was really summer 2020 when I was told, essentially, I was, I was totally on board with all of the COVID restrictions at first, uh, foolishly. And um, I did my part. I stayed home, lost my jobs, didn't see family. And I was struggling emotionally and mental health wise and also financially because um, I'm someone who's been working since I was 16 and I need to work. Um, and it's not my desire to be on unemployment. Um, and it's shocking to me when I realized, well, I was basically, we were all told explicitly that we could go out and protest on behalf of BLM, but we couldn't go to work. Um, I just thought that was the craziest thing in the world. And, and typically I would have been amenable to BLM um, because at the time I was a Democrat, I was a liberal, I was on board with the woke stuff um, that was sort of just seeping in. I didn't, I wasn't you know, really aware of how far it would go. Uh, but I just, it felt like there was no compassion, no concern for my, uh, my concerns, which, which were financial, which were very serious. And I was basically told whenever I would bring this up to my liberal friends and acquaintances, usually on a Facebook post, um, I would write these very long, very polite posts. Why can't we go to work? Why is everything caution taped off at the park? This seems a little bit extreme. Um, I would be told to read White Fragility and how to be an anti-racist and that I was racist, that I was selfish. I mean, there was just zero concern that I might have any honest reason for disagreeing with them. There was zero regard for that. And that changed my whole life. That changed my perspective because I had thought that Democrats were for the little guy. I thought they were for the struggling, the underdog, the, you know, 99%. And it was so clear to me in their response to COVID, particularly when compared to the response to BLM, that they actually weren't. So what essentially what you're saying is that you were betrayed by the Democratic Party and yes. by what the historians, what the good-hearted liberals, they are constantly constantly told you liberals is to liberate oneself it is to be the ultimate it's the ultimate freedom and it's ba basically it's to be good-hearted and compassionate and what you're saying is that you actually saw the opposite and 
and not necessarily from a hatred point of view, although there is obviously some of that, as you explained, but also from a from being too much compassionate, turn now turning and shoehorning into a completely completely different yes. thing promised. So how this is interesting because I would like to know also how long for how long were you a Democrat? I was a Democrat my whole life. I wasn't an activist. I, I didn't know anything about politics, which isn't something that I'm proud of. I, I had no idea. I just, every four years, I would go and vote for the Democrat president. <laughs> so I voted for Obama once and I voted for- Clinton Was it a was it a vote blue no matter who situation or uh, were you politically fine-tuned into what is going on? No, it, I mean, it was vote blue no matter who, but honestly, just for president. I didn't I didn't know anything else on the ballot at all. So I didn't even vote for any other Democrats. It was just for president, you know, so it was a very peripheral understanding. But you're you're right. It was I felt like a betrayal in, in 2020. And um, what I realized, I, I didn't jump straight to being a conservative. Obviously, that would be crazy. Uh, but in opening my eyes in walking away from the Democrat Party, I was able to open my eyes to a lot of this. I call it like toxic passion, like it's toxic femininity, the flip side of the toxic masculinity that we love to talk about. It's this compassion turned up to 11, um, which ends up harming people. And I see that over and over again with Democrat policies. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to be compassionate or they just have this good messaging PR system, but it is veiled as compassion and ends up harming the very people that they claim to want to help. Uh, most often women and minorities uh, and everyone else along with them. So, and that is what I experienced firsthand with the response to COVID. They thought they had the compassionate response or at least they claimed they had the compassionate response and I was harmed by it. And so were millions of other people. Obviously we're seeing the effects now and probably will continue to see them unfortunately because of what we did during COVID. Do you come from a traditionally Democrat family? No, my parents are Republican, but again, they weren't super politically um, involved. Um, but, you know, what I'm grateful for in retrospect is my dad was a big Trump supporter and I could not understand it because I hated him. I I thought he was so racist and so terrible. Um, and I'm grateful in retrospect that I had my dad who was a Trump supporter because I think it kept me grounded during my years of hating Donald Trump because I knew that everything they were saying about Trump supporters, this and that, white supremacy, I knew it wasn't true of my father. So I'm glad, I'm glad in hindsight that he was there because otherwise I might have really gone off the deep end with my hatred for Donald Trump, which I have since been cured of. So oh. as a Democrat, what did you when you were when you were a Democrat, you were looking into what the Republican Party is about. What were your feelings toward the Republican Party? But because here's and I want to put this into a context of we know that the Republican Party was the party of so-called progressive values. And I mean, progressive, just progress in, uh, in the racial sense, because the Republican Party was in the 1950s pushing for racial equality and pushing through civil rights bills. They were the party uh, that give women the right to vote and so on and so forth. They were more or less pushing these these things that now progressives claim as their own. So with that, how did you square the two, understanding that the Republican Party were the party of civil rights, the Democrats were the racist party? How did you justify being a Democrat and uh, anti-racist anti rhetoric? Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that history. Um, and I don't think a lot of people, young people, especially nowadays do. 
I don't know. I went to good schools. I, I was a good student, but uh, it's only in the last three years since I've started becoming more involved in politics and more patriotic, uh, more love of my country and, and history and the founding uh, that I have realized that I was lied to about the Republican Party. So I will say that I don't think a lot of people understand the cognitive dissonance because they're just not informed and they're not aware. Interesting. As a Democrat, what were your feelings toward the Republican Party the, as the just the normal daily Republican who might not be that political, just may or may not be voting for Trump? What were your feelings towards those uh, people? Um, you know, I didn't think about it too much, but the typical talking points of, of wanting to control people, how could you possibly be against abortion, uh, against against woman's choice, you know, um, certainly when Trump came along, I thought that he was racist. I thought that he was just an awful person. Couldn't really tell you why I thought he was racist specifically, um, which I think is common for a lot of people. They they hate him uh, because he has a you know, a personality that maybe is a little bit brash, but a lot of people cannot give you specifics of what exactly it is that he has done. And that is what I experienced while I was on that side, whether it was Trump or just the Republican Party. Um, I was ignorant. And it's kind of interesting because I've always been, uh, I like to think an intelligent person and a critical thinker, but it just didn't extend to politics. And I do believe that a lot of people who are still calling themselves Democrats, um, I just, I, I think that they are just unaware. I think that they do not know what they don't know. And I don't want to make excuses for them, but it is almost a full-time job to, to pay attention. And it is hard to realize that you've been lied to your whole life, you know, that you've been lied to about Donald Trump, that you've been lied to over and over and over again, uh, that you've been lied to about COVID or BLM. It's easier to just put your head in the sand and continue to believe what you have always believed. It's actually awesome and interesting to think about what you just mentioned about the about abortion and so on because that would probably be one huge thing that would keep you as a democrat because mm -hmm. it's such a huge polarizing issue mm -hmm. so you used to believe in the in the pro-choice arguments that it's yeah. a woman's right and they're taking away rights and so on and so forth yes. and now you say now you're pro-life so yes when saying you're pro-life what do you how do you define being pro-life i am passionate and working towards the expansion the the recognition that human rights extend to every human who is alive <laughs> um i believe that there is an ability and a way to honor and respect the rights and the lives of both mother and uh, her offspring that is what i mean by being pro-life so that would mean that there is no there is no cutoff date for abortion. They would, you're absolutely, completely, and utterly pro-life from conception. Yes, in my, in my opinion, yes. I understand that that's a controversial issue, and, and we like to say that it's not a, a winning issue when it comes to elections, but I mean, morally and, and scientifically, um, it is the truth. Any, any cutoff that you have past fertilization is arbitrary. It's you picking and choosing the heartbeat at six weeks or somewhere around 12 to 15 weeks to be like Europe um, or birth, God forbid. Um, but that's all arbitrary. At fertilization, a whole individuated, genetically distinct living human organism is formed. Uh, all of the DNA required for its entire life is there from fertilization. 
Um, and obviously that is well before any woman knows that she's pregnant, but that is when a new life begins. Uh, even though that's an uncomfortable fact, it is a biological one. So here's an interesting thing. I would like to run by you and I would like to hear what you think about it. I have complained, I've made a video about the what happened in Ohio. They passed a bill, a an amendment that made it legal throughout all the nine months of the pregnancy up until birth. So I asked the pro-life movement the question that do you think that Ohioans are really that bloodthirsty and that interested in keeping the and making it up until the moment of birth do you really believe that that is what's happening or that pro-lifers have taken it too far they're pushing it too aggressively in one direction that now this the other direction is winning so i asked that question and also i added that in order to win you have to change the language it's the the climate that we live in is not pro-life per se in some states we are some states we're not so in the states that we are, push it through, win the elections, get it done, no problem with that. But in the states that we are not there yet, which we should be, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. I said that you have to change the language on how you engage. So instead of calling it an abortion ban, you should call it a pro-life initiative. Why is that? Because a pro an abortion ban... Think about the wording, abortion ban. Ban is a negative word. It, and anybody who hears that and wants to preserve the abortion so-called right, they hear the word ban, they're like, wait a minute, they're taking away a right I had. So they automatically shut off to any other argument you'll be making. Look at this. Uh, how, about, how about six weeks? How about 18 weeks? No, nothing will speak to them. Any communication you will try to, to argue, they will just... No, they don't even want to hear it because you're now banning something and you're taking away my rights. But yeah. if you would say pro-life initiative, they're like, oh, okay, tell me more. Now, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's an initiative. It's not a ban. No, we're not banning anything. We're just putting through an initiative. Mm -hmm. So, and for that, it's funny that I got attacked on that. Uh, not really attacked, but I got criticized on Twitter. I'm a shill and so on and so forth. I was like, we're all on the same page here. <laughs> I want... if. If I could snap my fingers, I would outlaw abortion just like that throughout all 50 states because life is worth mm -hmm. fighting. It's a life, life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Life is the first right you get. I mean, not yeah. that you get, that you have given by yeah. God. So I was, so I said that you should change the language and stop pushing that far. You should have incremental change. And I was called a shill and attacked for that on Twitter. So I would like to get your opinion on that. If you think that changing the language and also slowing down wherever you can push through as quick as possible, go there, push through in Florida. I'm sure you could push through bills very quickly in Louisiana, in Alabama. I'm sure you could do that as well. Texas, maybe that'll be a little harder, but I'm sure you could do the same in Texas. But once you get to states like Kansas or Iowa or New Hampshire, you'll have to slow down and mm -hmm. incrementally change and also change the language. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. No, I think, I mean, you said a lot there, but I thought a lot of it was uh, very prescient. I mean, I, I think you're right. Language has power. Language matters. Obviously, the left is manipulating language when we see these propositions on ballots, etc. Um, and I have no problem with calling a pro-life initiative. And I do think that I really, I, I'm very interested in English and language, etc. and words, the way that I articulate things. So I think um, that's absolutely true. And your point about 
going a little bit slower. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that pro-life people want to hear, but obviously we have to deal in practicalities. And I think that we very much have to change the culture and legislate in tandem. Obviously, if someone were to get in the White House or somewhere and, and do a complete ban on abortion, um, no, that wouldn't go over well. And it's easy to sit back and say, well, you're catering to the, the pro-abortion crowd, etc. However, my goal is not having a bunch of women walking around pregnant, unhappy that they're pregnant. That's not like my ultimate goal as a pro-lifer. So I do believe that we have to change the culture in tandem with the legislation. So that probably speaks to your point about going a little bit slower. Um, but no, I originally, when you were speaking, you said something about pro-lifers going too far. I don't believe that pro-lifers have gone too far. Obviously I'm biased and pro-life. Um, I think that this was always, we were always on a collision course for the past 50 years for this to happen. Um, we all know, you and I understand that in 1973, you know, seven, Seven men made a decision that was not based in the Constitution. I mean, not seven, whatever the majority was. And uh, so we were always slated to have this happen. And for 50 years, pro-lifers have been fighting to have Roe overturned. It finally happened. And this was always going to happen because we've had at least two generations of women who have been lied to and have been told that this is a constitutional fundamental right. And when that suddenly gets taken away, quote unquote, um, you're going to have a lot of reaction to that. And unfortunately, I think this is the first time since slavery that we've really had, now that Roe has fallen, you can go from one state to the next. And in one state, a group of humans is recognized as they are. And in the next state, they're not recognized as humans. So I, unfortunately, this is not going anywhere. And I think that this will continue to be a really moving issue that that either you know could possibly further divide the united states of america because this has not happened since slavery on winning the culture as you said we have to first win the culture in order to push through the pro-life measures and just just be conservatives or just get back to a place of sanity as a former democrat and as a former liberal even more importantly I'm interested to know what do you think would be the most effective way in talking to liberals and communicating to liberals as and I'm framing this in the context of as a former liberal if I as a conservative were approach were to approach you and start talking about politics and I were to convince you what do you as a former liberal say would be the best way of convincing you to turn conservative or at the very least join the conservatives on particular issues I wish I had a better answer for this question. I think it was Yuri Bezmenov and probably other people who said that you need to suffer in order to break out of brainwashing. Um, and that, that was my experience, that I had to suffer, not that I had never suffered prior to summer 2020, but I had to experience firsthand as someone living in Los Angeles, the insanity of the response to COVID compared to the response to BLM. And I had to feel that in my pocketbook and et cetera, et cetera. I probably wouldn't have changed. I like to think that by now I would have, but it wasn't someone convincing me. It wasn't someone talking to me. Um, it was my experience in my life. And obviously that's not something you can manufacture for people. Um, so it's, it's not a very helpful response. But I do believe that uh, it's important to keep speaking the truth because I'm sure that there were little seeds planted uh, along the way, you know, that I would have never that I didn't clock 
and uh, maybe that helped me along the way to become what I am today. Uh, but I don't think ultimately that you can necessarily change anyone's mind. Uh, but of course, I think it's important for conservatives, like I said, to keep speaking the truth, to keep asking questions. I think that if you continue to just ask questions um, and not go for the attack, which I know is easier said than done, liberal points of view, they do not hold water. You hold one quote unquote liberal point of view next to another liberal point of view. Uh, they oftentimes contradict each other, particularly in the abortion arena, but in almost every other arena. So if you keep asking questions, I think eventually, uh, I mean, they won't be able to answer them anymore and stay consistent. Uh, so, you know, that's not the answer you really want to hear, but it's the best one I've got. As a liberal, would you ever consider having a conservative friend? Um, that never came up really, but yes, I would have. Um, I, I was, I've never been the type, like I said, my dad was a Trump supporter and I really hated him. Uh, so I've never been the type to be like, well, we can't be friends anymore. But honestly, I was an actress in Los Angeles. I'm a millennial. Uh, there's just, it, it felt like uh, there's wasn't a lot of conservatives. It still feels like that now, but I realize a lot of people are changing and there's also a lot of closeted people. Uh, but at the time, it just wasn't something that ever came up. Interesting. So as when, when turning conservative and seeing the betrayal of the liberal Democrats in California, you mentioned also something about them betraying not only you but also the small businesses which would have been the first people they should be protecting yeah. the small businesses but instead yeah. they who did they actually protect they protect the huge corporations they protect the yes. the huge restaurants not the small ones mm -hmm. what effect did that have on you it, it had a big effect on me you know i'm not a i'm not a small business owner but I, i i worked for two small businesses at the time when COVID came down and i lost both of those jobs overnight within 24 hours of each other and i never saw those jobs again which obviously i i did not know at the time um and those jobs meant something to me one of them was a restaurant that i had helped open five years earlier And I just, I saw firsthand how much these people were struggling. And, and one of the things I distinctly remember, specifically in summer 2020, going back to my catalyst moment, my catalyst for change, was I, I would take these long walks around LA because I didn't have jobs, obviously, and I didn't have a car and I was trying to stay sane. And while the BLM riots and protests, but a lot of riots were starting to happen, I watched these independent stores, these mom and pop restaurants that had just barely been allowed to open in LA because this was like late May, early June. They had just barely been allowed to open with all these restrictions still, you know, the plastic dividers, only two people allowed inside at a time, whatever. I watched them have to close their doors again and board up and put like black owned business on the outside. And I just thought, this is absolutely the craziest thing in the world. There's no way this is good for us. Here we are in the middle of a pandemic, allegedly. We've all had to shut down. We've all had to take a hit in business. And now here it is coming again, just in June of 2020. And I don't care what color you are. You know, this isn't good for the community. And what blew my mind even more was that in LA and obviously across the nation, but particularly in LA, there was never any course correction as we learned more information about anything it was never like well let's let's redirect let's let's change our original response I kept the same exact response throughout we were in a mass mandate for two years without stopping you know 
And it, again, it's just so crazy to me, uh, this idea that that small business owners don't matter. Again, I don't care what color you are. And, you know, they, there was the, the moratorium on rent. OK, well, we you know, the left hates landlords because they own property, et cetera. But those are just regular people who own property, you know. And so, yes, I don't want anyone to be out on the street because they can't pay their rent because they couldn't go to work because they weren't allowed. But then also, what about the people who own the properties and who are trying to feed their families. So the whole thing was just categorically insane. And this idea that only white people, you know, were, were the ones who cared or only wealthy people were the ones who cared. No, a lot of people suffered from this response and how the left can continue to turn a blind eye to it. I haven't heard one apology from one Democrat uh, about the way that they responded to COVID. And it, it continues to kind of blow my mind a little bit to this day. Now that you have changed, you've turned around, became a conservative, I'd like to know, what. how do you consider yourself to be more? A so fiscally conservative, socially conservative, maybe a, maybe a little bit libertarian? What would you say you are, in which, in which political ideology do you, do you align the most? Uh, I would say I'm both fiscally and socially conservative with a kind of a libertarian bent. I, I appreciate libertarianism. Um, and I certainly relate to them on on many things. Uh, I've been especially appreciating some of them with their uh, responses to global conflict <laughs> in uh, in recent recent months and, and in the past uh, year or so. But um, conservative. So you're not interested as a libertarian. You're not interested in funding any foreign wars. You want to be more. Let's say let's take the word isolationist more more to keep to what's happening here in the United States, help our own homeless, make sure that there are no illegal immigrants and so on and so forth. Any problems? First, take care of all the problems in the United States. And then if yeah. we have time, we'll check on what the rest of the world is up to. That's, that's basically, <laughs> have I got that correct? Yeah, you know, and I'll I put the caveat. I'm not a obviously a geopolitical expert. I, I'm far more confident in my stances on social issues like abortion and feminism and things like that. But yes, um, when I look around, I, I definitely consider myself a populist. And when I look around, I see Americans suffering. I see the American dream disappearing for a lot of people, um, especially people in my generation. People like to give millennials a hard time. I think it's deserved a lot of the time. But I also think that a lot of millennials feel resentful that uh, we weren't able to afford the things that our parents could afford on, on less, you know. And um, I want to see Americans have the American dream um, as opposed to inviting everyone to come here illegally or even really legally. I think it should be harder to come legally. I know that's not a popular position. That is interesting. And I, 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 <laughs> that is interesting what you just what? said there. So you, yeah. turned, you turned from liberal to, cons to more conservative. So this is the most interesting part because for liberals, one of the most important things is illegal immigration and even legal immigration. But just letting in refugees, the refugee system is a scam. For those people who don't know, it's mostly a scam. But here's the thing. So I would like to know when becoming more conservative, what is so this is the interesting part. You had to accept, okay, this one thing, I'm gonna, you know what, maybe the right is here correct on this part. And then you say, okay, maybe the right also on this part, and maybe on this part or this part. So how did it go? How did you become from one part saying that the conservatives got one thing right till just embracing almost everything <laughs> the conservatives say? So basically, my question is. 
from a liberal, how does one liberal become a conservative and completely switch everything, turn everything everything upside down and becoming and embracing everything the conservative movement has to offer, more or less everything, but that's yeah. the question. Um, you know, well, I, like I said, it, it didn't happen overnight. It, it was really over the course of about a year and a half. And I don't know, I, I, I wish I could give a step by step. I, I walked away from the Democrat Party summer 2020. And I started listening. I remember looking around and thinking, okay, well, Donald Trump, even though he did handle COVID, mishandle COVID in a lot of ways, it was like he was the only one talking about opening the country. So then and I was so desperate to open up that I was like, well, maybe he's not as bad as I thought. And then I started researching him. And then I realized that I, like, I watched the full Charlottesville press conference. I was floored to find that he did not say there's very fine people on both sides. <laughs> that blew my mind. And it had taken me. Here's the funny What's thing that? about it. Here's the funny thing about the Charlottesville. Yeah. yeah. That, that liberals, they said that he said there are good people on both sides. That would indicate that Donald Trump thinks that leftists are good people. So that just didn't make, didn't make any sense because if he did say good people on both sides, then that would only indicate that he thinks that as far left, you could be as far left as you want and be a good person and far right as you want to be a good person. That just doesn't make any sense. So that's true. Continue. I just that's wanted a good to point. say that. No, that's a good point. And of course, you know, they always say it in the context of Nazis that he was praising the Nazis, but he immediately, twice, twice in that conference alone, he says not the Nazis. Um, and then I went on to find these YouTube compilations of him con condemning white supremacy over and over and over and over and over again, probably more than any other president in the history of our nation. And so that was all news to me. I couldn't believe how much I'd been led to because they had told, I mean, Joe Biden launched his campaign on this man refuses to condemn white supremacy and said there's very fine people on both sides. So that blew my mind of like, why do you have to lie to me so much about this guy if he's as bad as you say he is? And it really was just, you know, I remember I started listening to like Dennis Prager and, and Ben Shapiro and these famous conservative people that I would have never listened to. Honestly, I don't I don't even know if I knew that they existed, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and I started realizing that that their positions make sense. That, uh, you know, going back to the border, a, a secure border is a humane border. Yeah, it's, it's a nice idea. Well, let's let everybody in. These people are suffering. They're poor. They're not like uh, what we have in America. Uh, but when you start, when you have an open border, then you've got trafficking and you've got people dying trying to get here and, and things like that. And you've, you have um, people, Americans, who are lower on the socioeconomic scale, uh, which are typically black Americans. You have them suffering because here they are being priced out of their jobs because illegal immigrants will come and do it for less. So it's like the left does not think, or maybe it's all planned out, but I think the average American quote unquote liberal does not think about the results of their positions. It's like, yes, it sounds really nice. Be for a woman's choice. Uh, let everybody come in, you know, be a good Christian, share, yada, yada. But then what is the result of that? Because we live we live in the real world. And so it really was just opening my eyes to, wow, conservatives make sense, you know, and they've got the science on their side for the other side claims to be the side of science. They've got this, they've got the science, they've got morality, they've got ethics, you know, this is I, something I believe that's that because is, they have that, God. This is something that Go really, really got to me when they say the science. I was like, what do you mean the science? There's no such thing as the yeah. science, capital T, capital S, the science. It's basically the mm -hmm. the bible okay that is an authority the science is not an authority it's a it's a method right. it's a way of calculating best uh, the best moves forward it's a way of calculating the 
the world as it is, but it's not a an authority. Science should never be an authority. Exactly. It should be a metric, a tool, so on and so forth. So when they said the science, mm -hmm. it was basically them saying what we we have to say, and that's whatever we have to say, you have to follow, as Fauci exactly. said, that he is the he, science. He's the science, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I found in my own questioning of, I was just questioning, you know, BLM. I was just questioning uh, why do we have to stay home? We can't you know, have that. Why does everybody have to? But yeah, you can't question. Exactly. If you question, you're racist and you're selfish. And these are people that I knew in my life who I had worked with and done theater with. And it was just, and who liked me, you know? And it was very, very odd that you can't question anything at all. And here we are three years later and my questions and all of our questions, your questions too, were, uh, were, <laughs> were relevant questions that should have been answered. Do you still have liberal friends? Uh, well, I have liberal family members, you know, some members of my immediate family are liberal. Um, but no, I, I can't say that I have liberal friends, um, which is unfortunate, but uh, a lot of people that, you know, knew me, um, especially once I started speaking out and the content started reaching a little, you know, a few more people growing, uh, a lot of people blocked, unfollowed, unfriended, which is their prerogative, you know. But so it's unfortunate because I'm the same person I always was. I'm just have different viewpoints. <laughs> you'd still, so you'd still love to have liberal friends, but they are the ones who were who blocked you. Did you love a substantial mm -hmm. amount of liberal friends? No, I, I have to be honest. I didn't lose a substantial amount because, and I think this is another thing that that caused my shift. I was very, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was very isolated. I mean, obviously, in summer 2020, we were all isolated, but prior to COVID. I was very isolated. I was kind of lost in life, kind of just drifting. Um, I had stopped acting, stopped pursuing acting, and I was just kind of drifting through life and, and not living a very secular lifestyle. And so I think that is part of what uh, paved the way for my shift is that even beyond COVID and beyond the ridiculousness of it and, and my righteous indignation, uh, my life was not bringing me contentment. My life was not bringing me peace. And so I think that's part of what called me back to God is that I had a, a deep hole inside of me and a knowing that there had to be a better way to live. And again, I found that in voices like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro, who, yes, talk about politics, but obviously also particularly Dennis Prager about a, a better way to live, you know, and that we've really decided that in many ways in the modern day West. So that really spoke to me. So I think that was another building block, not just of oh, this is crazy what's going on in LA, but what was going on in my own life and in my own heart and how lost I felt. So I can't say that I lost, you know, years long friends from high school, et cetera, et cetera. But it is hard always to see, okay, this person blocked me. This person unfollowed me. They unfriended me. I got some nasty messages. I still get some nasty messages from people who used to know me or claim that they used to know me. They're usually in anonymous profiles. Um, and, you know, it stings. It hurts. I'm, I'm human. Cowards. And of course, I wouldn't mind being friends with liberals. You know, I mean, I, I, that's just such a silly thing. I'm not going to how could I hate you just because you vote for Joe Biden? I don't understand it. I think it's, I think it's stupid. I think it's ignorant, especially at this point, but how could I possibly, you know, say that I hate you, especially because I have siblings who, who are liberal. So it's, it's a very unfortunate position that we find ourselves in. So you've mentioned a few times Dennis Prager. So what kind of content <laughs> from Dennis Prager did you watch? Did you watch the four minute video formats or him, the long speeches that he gives? 
you know, I've watched a lot. I, I used to watch, I, the, I don't as much anymore, but I used to watch, what is it, like the fireside chats or something. And, um, and he does do those five minute videos. Uh, and I, I used to listen to his radio program on, on podcast too. And it, some of the things just stuck, struck me. I, you know, I like it when he says that you have an obligation to be as happy as you can possibly be. <laughs> I like that. And it, it's something that isn't quite expected from, um, a religious person, you know, but it's like taking care of your, I think he says it's like taking care of your bad breath. You know, you wouldn't go yes. out with bad breath. So don't go out with a bad attitude. Um, and, uh, you know, I still listen to him when he's interviewed on other podcasts that I listen to. And I always find him, you know, very compelling and, and profound and just full of wisdom. And now, of course, I've expanded. I listen to a lot of other things. But again, it was just that thing of like, OK, these people make sense. They're not they're not hateful. They're not bigoted. They're not racist. They're not any of this stuff. Um, they're just speaking sense about what's going on in the world and and how to live a better life. And that's what really spoke to me. You should definitely reach out to Dennis Prager and maybe that you could do a five minute video with with him on your journey on becoming more conservative. I think that would be a pretty interesting video. Thank so you. I would like I've, to, I've uh, reached out to them. I'll continue to though. <laughs> I think that'll be very uh, very interesting and a very informative. So here's a yeah. here's something. I'd like to know who are the five conservatives that you watched that had the greatest influence on you on turning more conservative? Um, well, I guess since I've mentioned him a few times, I would say Dennis Prager. I remember discovering Dave Rubin and um, I've since, you know, I, I do disagree with him on a lot now, but I remember watching his or me, I guess he would he would talk about it, it happened prior, his interview with uh, Larry Elder <laughs> and and how Larry Elder red pilled him, he always says. And then I went back and watched the interview. And again, there was Larry Elder talking sense about the black community and basically just schooling Dave Rubin, who here he's this gay man who thought he was, you know, doing good and caring about the blacks and this and that. And and Larry Elder just comes in again with with facts, you know, so that was someone who had influence on me. Um, who else? Uh, I remember a gothics. She's lesser known. I just spoke at a walkaway yeah. event with her. She um, was a gamer, I guess, which is totally not my thing at all. I mean, I used to love video games as a kid, but I don't know anything about it anymore. And then she had a very similar timeline to mine, a very similar walkaway experience. And it just so happened that she had a kind of a big following already. And then she started speaking about it. Um, and now I think she's a Christian too as well. So we've had very similar stories where she just realized, you know, what's going on with COVID? This is insane. Um, so that was someone who really spoke to me and I subscribed to her members only for a while. Uh, Gina Carano was another one. And, and that's why I mentioned Ben Shapiro a lot, because I remember seeing her on Ben Shapiro's Sunday special. And Gina Carano was one particularly because I used to be an actress. And I remember what she got in trouble for posting was just the most like not nothing at all offensive, not even comparing anyone to the Holocaust or to Holocaust victims or survivors. It was something about how they came for, you know, uh, I, I don't first even know what it was. The Jews it was they, and some, something like, sorry, first they, maybe they, so. they dehumanized a certain, certain people, the Jews, and, and she said that yeah. dehumanizing people who don't wear masks or don't take the vaccine and made uh, yeah. that Holocaust reference. Yeah, it was, it was, you're right. It was something like that. And I, I just, I thought it was absolutely insane because 
I mean, here's, you know, this woman who's not political at all, and she's just posting this fairly innocuous thing. And then she gets fired from Disney. And I had felt the same thing going on. Obviously, I don't have the fame of Gina Carano. But when I would post these things on Facebook, just like dip my toe in the water of, oh, maybe we should get back to work. And maybe we should not have all the jungle gyms caution tape off at the park. Like maybe need people need to get out and get some sun or whatever it is. I would just be like railroaded. And I, so I felt this like empathy with Gina Carano and I appreciated hearing her story on, on the Sunday special. And then obviously, you know, what she's done with Daily Wire since. So yeah, I don't know if that was five people, but those are the things that stand out to me um, when I was just kind of like, cause it, it feels kind of scary and it feels kind of exciting um, where you're kind of like questioning everything that you thought was true and real. It can be a really isolating experience um, and I appreciate the people that went through it before me or went through it alongside me, even though they didn't know me and I didn't know them personally. Interesting about what you mentioned that you almost at the same time when Gothics was becoming more mm -hmm. conservative, almost at the same time, you were also becoming more conservative. And I also yeah. remember the time I was watching her videos uh, weekly and uh, yeah, I think it was weekly and it was pretty interesting to see the transformation as it was happening that she was at the first kind of apologetic about it saying that listen this is this makes sense on the conservative right so mm -hmm. i'm just i'm going to take the i'm just going to take the common sense road and then when she became more more conservative she was like listen this is how it is you don't like it then get out of yeah. here she became less apologetic and more confident yeah. in yeah. in yeah. her point of view <laughs> and Mm -hmm. interesting part about that is that at the same time she became more religious she was uh, as I, I think mm -hmm. she was an atheist at first and then she became much more religious and you uh, mm -hmm. and you have gone through the same transformation from becoming an atheist to becoming more religious yeah yeah that's why i say it, it's kind of interesting to me that it was the same timeline and the same the same sequence of events and i was you know honored to share the stage with her at, a, at, the, at the walk away event so now, um, but you're right. It's, it's 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 just common sense. It really is just common sense. And then you know, I also too. I started out very trepid. I don't have the reach that she has, um, and I'm apologetic. And then so many people just push back on you, and so many people give you so much just blind hatred uh, that now I have become a little bit more brash and just tell it like it is, and much uh, more strong in my in my point of view. Um, but for every you know, for every bit of pushback you get, there's like 25 positive comments. So it, it definitely more than balances out. But uh, yeah, I appreciate seeing other people go through the same journey. And, and you're right, it is just purely common sense. When you were a liberal, you say that you were a feminist and now you've turned anti-feminist. Why is that? Because yes. <laughs> feminism hurts women. Uh, feminism, I'm feminism hurts everybody, but it, but it hurts women first and then eventually hurts men because what's good for women is good for men and vice versa. Uh, we've been lied. Uh, we've been lied to for so long, um, and I think I think the you look around and you see it. Women are more unhappy than ever before. Women are the number one. You know, we take the most uh, SSRIs. I think it's one in four women over sixty are on an SSRI. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with taking medication if you feel that it helps you and and you've tried everything else prior to. But uh, it's just interesting to me that we have more rights, more economic opportunities than ever before, certainly than our grandmothers, and yet we're more unhappy than ever before. Um, 
you know, a lot of women are single and childless. One in four 40 year olds in the US have been married at all, which is obviously just an astronomical number that we've never seen. And that, you know, men and women. Um, and it's just, I don't think we, I think that it has sort of led us to where we are today, where nobody knows what a woman is, you know, even biologically speaking, but nobody knows what a woman is even spiritually speaking. Like we don't know what a woman is different than a man. And we have trained women to be like men, you know, to work the same jobs, work the same number of hours, to be the boss babes or the boss B words. Um, certainly to have physical intimacy like men. I mean, I'm not encouraging men to have promiscuous relations either, uh, but it affects them differently. You know, I think it, I think it's wrong. I know it's wrong for either gender, but it affects men differently than it does women. And yet we don't talk about that. Women are just supposed to be able to have it with no strings attached and then also have it and not get pregnant because you should be on birth control or, you know, you can go get the abortion. I mean, I just, I don't see anywhere in our culture that we praise women. And I certainly, I know men feel attacked and I think they are attacked as well. I think we praise masculinity when it's in women, but not in men. And that is obviously just so backwards. There's this weird war on men, but then we love it when we see masculinity in women. We just can't get enough of it. And that helps no one. That makes everyone feel awful because then men are being discarded and women are being discarded because femininity is being discarded. And, you know, it used to be that, uh, oh, well, we just want women to have the option to work outside the home. Well, now you have to work outside the home. That and was if always a young the plan, ever... I would argue. It was always the plan. Yes. I, I, I'm trying yes. to remember who it was, Betty Friedan or, no, actually, she was the moderate. She was she was crazy, but she was the moderate compared to, I don't remember which one, that, that, that when Betty Friedan said that women should have that right, the other yes. one, I I apologize, I don't remember the name, said that no, they should be encouraged to right. go outside the home. They should it should because if be they get the choice, right, they'll always be the be, norm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are and, you and a, she made the point. Are you against the all all waves of feminism? Which do, are you are you against only the first one, third one? Which uh, where do you uh, put where do you put your foot down? Uh, well, listen, that's a hard question to answer because it's not popular. Um, I think we can all agree that third and fourth waves have, are different than first and second. Um, I mean, I talk about third and fourth being, you know, everything from certainly abortion to where we are now. Um, I also, I don't like any of it though. <laughs> I don't, I don't so, like any of it. I mean, I think there's this idea that feminism just went awry somewhere and, oh, it started off with good intentions. And then we kind of just skittered off course. I think it always was bad intentions. I think it always hated men. I think it always maligned men. Uh, that woman that you're, I don't remember her name either, but the woman that you just mentioned was not anyone recently. I I don't even think it was Betty Friedan's contemporary. I think it was, it was, like early 1900s, I believe. Um, and she did say, if you give them the choice, women will want to stay home. Women will always Correct. choose that. So I think there's always, feminism has always been veiled in lies and in, and in man hatred and in wanting to be like men. So uh, I don't think any of it was good. And obviously you couldn't have where we are now without the first and the second wave. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, the first and second waves were good. Um, and I also, you know, I, I, I'm never going to advocate for 
I will never advocate for repealing a constitutional amendment. I mean, that's almost, it's impossibly hard. I'm not trying to take away rights from anyone, but yeah, I mean, women voting hasn't been great for the country. And if women couldn't vote, we'd never have another democratic president ever again. It just would not be possible. So, I mean, there's that, you know, that argument, uh, I, actually, again, I, <laughs> that, argument that you just what? made, that argument that you just made, I think it speaks more to that women are more emotionally oriented. So yes. the compassion arguments that liberals make, that speaks more to women. So the you could say that the, that the answer is not taking away women's right to vote. It is that women find a husband, talk to their husband, yes. and their husband explain, will explain to them, listen, I'm the authority in the house. I am, I, I, I'm more politically, I, I believe that, that every, Every man should, and every husband should be politically oriented. They should know the politics of the day. They should know exactly what's up and they should be able to explain. So I believe that changing things up that way, like the 1950s, you'll get, uh, you'll get a, much more, a much more stable society. Let's just put it that way. So you are completely against every wave of feminism. Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, listen, someone's going to say, someone's going to be listening to this and say, well, you've got, they tell me all the time, you've got social media profiles and you have a credit card and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's also because I live in this world and we are backwards and I would rather be not on social media and I would rather be, you know, <laughs> at home with a husband, you know, like making babies and making, I mean, if I'm being honest, you know, but we live in this world and I think I have an important voice. Um, and it's, it's, that's the problem is that it's, it, you know, if you say you're against every wave of feminism, people think, oh, well, you want to you want to set us back. But we have lost really timeless truths because we God, I think that, um, yes, what you just said about a, a woman looking to her husband and her husband being able to guide her. Um, well, so many men, women are unmarried, though. So then, yeah, if you say, well, we're going to take away your credit card and we're going to take away your job and your right to vote, women will be SOL because we're, we're not getting married, et cetera. So this really all goes back to like the war on the family, which, again, I think is another proponent that feminism has always had from day one. It has been against the nuclear family. So, yeah, I mean, I... I appreciate, obviously, I am benefiting from feminism in many ways because I'm an unmarried woman who's making a living and that kind of thing. Uh, but do I think it's been good for women? No, I don't think it's been good for women. And I think that we would have, it was always inevitable, but I think that we would have been better off without it. Um, and I think I look around and I see people in my generation and I see them miserable. So I think that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to this. I, like I said, I think this was always inevitable and I don't want to take away women's right to vote, but we threw out everything uh, in the name of progress. Would you say that it's not about taking women's, uh, taking away the right of women to vote. It's more of trying to reestablish the sanity that was beforehand, which was that if you had a vested interest in the United States, you owned property, you could be drafted you, and all of those other things, yeah. you get to vote. But since women were not allowed, yeah. were not drafted, you don't get to vote. So yeah. I would say that maybe going back to a system that it's not about, oh, you're a woman, so you can't vote. It's basically you're not going to get drafted, so you shouldn't vote, regardless if you're a man or a right. woman. Would you say that right. that system would be something that you might be interested in implementing obviously not now and you're not going to take anybody's rights away anytime soon but let's say let's say the conservatives get their crap together and start 
really pushing through conservative ideas, pushing and winning the colleges, winning the schools, and changing the minds, having babies, changing the entire culture. Let's say uh, that in 50 years from now, that we're start, starting to talk, okay, we can start changing up a few old things that we used to have. Would you say that that would be a improvement on the country? Going back to something akin to the 1950s, let's say. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, obviously, I don't want to go back to the 1950s. They got they got a lot of stuff wrong, obviously, you know, especially when it comes to race relations, etc. But no, um, nobody's talking yes. about that. Nobody's talking no, about no, the race I, relations. I know. Yes, we're talking about gender relations. And even still, I would say they, they did get a lot wrong when it comes to gender relations. I think that, uh, you know, um, there was a repression and a... Um, uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate now that we are... This is getting off tangent, so I, I won't go into too much. I do appreciate now that we are... Um, I think in the 19, in the 1950s and the 1960s, there was a lot of uh, hurt people who were not in therapy, who were not doing any kind of work, who were just kind of shoving it all down. Um, and I see that in my own uh, grandparents in many ways, and it manifested in alcoholism and that kind of thing. So I, I do think we have made progress in even in, in some sense in the relation between men and women since then, because I see people trying to do work and trying to be a better partner and a better parent. So it's not all lost, but that's nothing to do with women voting. Yes, I do think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, uh, changing the culture in tandem with uh, legislation. So what you spoke about in 50 years, if we keep having babies and unfortunately the left keeps aborting their babies or sterilizing their babies, uh, there will be less leftist babies, which doesn't make me happy, uh, but it's just the reality of it. They're more likely to get abortions and to sterilize their kids. Uh, then, yeah, I mean, yes, the, hopefully we can change the culture. Um, and again, you know, it, it doesn't come down to taking away the right to vote because obviously you, you also can't do that if there's unmarried women. But you're right about the draft and things, you know, uh, when they were talking about giving women the right to vote. Um, a lot of women didn't want it because they said, we, we don't want to be in the fire brigade. We don't want to be drafted. And it is sort of unfair. Life's not fair, but it is unfair that women can vote when we can't be drafted. And then the voting age was higher and they lowered it to 18 in the 19, uh, well, what, when was it? Uh, yes. The 1960s, on the Richard Nixon. But because they needed Okay, yes. And then it was lowered for women as well. They lowered it to 18 because they needed more men eligible for the draft. And yet now women who are 18 can vote. as well. So that's really also not fair that you already got the right to vote. And now you get to vote younger, uh, just because we needed to draft more people. But again, you're not being drafted. So uh, but again, this is something that we have been raised to believe we have a right to. And God forbid you take it away from us. Um, so yeah, it goes back to changing the culture because if it's a bunch of unmarried women and men and the women don't have anyone and you're telling them, oh, well, listen to your husband and they don't have a husband who loves them and cares for them, which I think is something that maybe they didn't have in the 1950s. We're talking about real love and real care. Um, then yeah, you're basically telling women to take a hike. So we have to change the think, culture too. And you can't force people to get married and that kind of thing. But go ahead. I don't think that the in the nineteen fifties there were no that there were no husbands who loved their wives. Oh, I'm I mean, sure there were. I'm sure there were. That, I would not say no, the vast majority. I would I would say the I say <laughs> I would say that the vast majority of cases that are upplayed by the media that oh look at these people, they were repressed and other people mm -hmm. they there was sexual harassment and all the rest of the things. I think it's highly 
it's highly produced. It's not blown out of proportion. Yes, it, it's very much yeah. blown out of proportion, especially, mm -hmm. especially considering the liberals' record of lying about history. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they lied about Joe McCarthy as McCarthyism, which didn't exist. It was Joe McCarthy was a great American patriot. I'll not get into that. I made an episode on that. If you want, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to listen to that, you can listen to that. I bring the receipts on it. Anyway, but there's they lied about at the time period they lied about how how terrible it was. Well, let's see what happened afterward. The sixties happened, feminism, the long march mm -hmm. through the institutions, and the Kennedys came into power. Basically, this whole new wave of the yippie the hippies, yippies as well. The, yeah. the whole new wave of new liberal of liberal ideology flooded America. And what has happened since then? They promised you, here's the thing, they promised you that all these new liberal ideas is going to make the country better. Did the country become better? Well, suicides are up. No. Depression is up. Basically, almost every metric, the inflation, you used to be able to go with one income on the household, have a, have a lot of children, and yeah. people could afford it. It was an amazing time in the 50s compared to right now, the stability of people. Here is another thing. When you go out, you ask the average person about any politics. It's basically it, it's stupidity. It, most people who you ask out there about politics or about the about geography and so on and so forth, they have no freaking idea. You ask people from the nineteen fifties random questions; they know what they're talking about. I'm sure you'll find a fool there, here or there. But nowadays, it's mainstream. Back then, you had to find the fool. So. They promise you everything is going to change. All the things are going to become better. All the if you embrace all the liberalism, what happened? Quite the opposite. Depression is up. Basically, all the bad metrics are up. So that's why I'm saying. That's why I, I am saying that. First, let's go back to how it was in the fifties. Let's go back. Yeah. And well, if I we're not talking about the racial stuff, we're not talking about yeah. the bad stuff. We're talking yeah. about the good stuff. Having a family. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking mm -hmm. about the sexual harassment. Nobody's talking about that. I. I why would anybody want to go back to that? We're talking about the good stuff, the things that created the <laughs> families. Let's take away the the Linda Baines Johnson, his his bill on giving giving women childcare. What was that? I'm trying to remember what the Great Society programs. That yeah, that, yeah. that it created it created women with have an incentive for women to have children while mm -hmm. not being married out of wedlock. Yes, you get yes, more money that, when the father's not in the home. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And this is and this is um, absolutely terrible. So yes, repeal those things from the 1960s. Let's go back to something that's akin to the 1950s without the problems. We can do that. We don't have to have the problems of the 1950s. We could have the good stuff. Well, there's the always yes, but this 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 is why it comes back always to God. You know, it you have yes. to come back to God first. It's that we've lost God because. If I if I would make one defense of, of feminism, if I at all, and, and kind of what I was getting at when it comes to relationships in the 1950s, which I speak to firsthand, you know, we see this um, right now. I think it's a I think it's a justified and understandable rise, but I think it's completely misguided in like the red pill manosphere culture, you know, defending men for promiscuity and for cheating. And, you know, this is a man's nature, et cetera, et cetera. And when women have no economic opportunity and recourse, uh, yeah, a woman has to accept that. A woman has to accept that he is providing and he is here. He's the father of my children. He's married to me. Uh, but it is his nature to go out and do those kinds of things. I do think that maybe some of that happened more in that time period. And a woman had to take it for better or worse. And I do not agree with divorce, you know, so and that kind of thing. Um, but 
that's why it goes back to God is you need God uh, because we can go back, we can, you know, maybe take away some of these restrictions or in, implement some of these restrictions, uh, you know, go back in time, uh, change the culture, et cetera. But it always comes back to God. It comes back to being a righteous man and a virtuous woman. And that's the really important part um, that but I think. Here's a, here's interesting thing sometimes. about the 1960s and the new wave of liberalism is that in the 90s 1965 they took they kicked god out of out of the public school which a public school shouldn't exist anyway we should we should have yeah. private school schools affordable private schools charter schools and so on and so forth or at the very least if you if there is a problem if we can't build such such schools then you would have a public school that belongs to the state so this and localized so they would it would be much more in the hands of the parents what the child is taught so there will be much more accountability mm -hmm. on that front but they kicked out god of, of the public schools and what you just mentioned that we need to bring back god that's what i'm trying to say is the 1950s you had all these institutions you're right built into the mm -hmm. system and the 1960s teared everything down and since then people have become people's lives have become meaningless and nihilistic and hedonistic which is the yeah. i mean that i guess that is the meaning of liberalism is to liberate oneself from the self and to do whatever drugs to do whatever whatever pleasures that earth can offer do that and nobody's yeah. allowed to stop you but are you really liberal are you really liberated if you're a mm -hmm. if you're addicted to your desires and your passions and your and your pleasures are you really a are you really a free person or are you just addicted and a slave to your right. to your inner beast anyway i yeah. really enjoy well discipline is a path to liberation yeah of course you know that yeah i enjoyed speaking with you too <laughs> yeah so before we end this first i want you to mention wherever people can find you and if they're interested if they took it, took anything away from this conversation if they want to mention they want to talk to you about these things where can they find you um, I'm on Instagram at Natalie Jean Beisner and uh, Twitter at NJ Beisner, B-E-I-S-N-E-R. Um, I'm on YouTube and Truthful and Rumble and TikTok too, but those are the two main platforms that I'm on. Oh, I guess it's X now, not Twitter, but uh, yeah, you can find no, me there. No, it's Twitter. I don't, care who, I don't care what anybody <laughs> okay. says. It's Twitter. I, can't, yeah, I just can't, I can't go, go with X. He should, he should <laughs> pick some other name. I'm willing to change the name if he really wants it, but not X. It. It sounds like an adult <laughs> website. Let's just let's it does. just leave it there. always sounds like that. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. And I, let's just leave it there. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can reach out to me at Aaron Politidoxy on Twitter or on or on Instagram at Aaron Friedman. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at politidoxy at gmail.com. I thank you very much for listening to this episode. Please share. This will be available on Rumble, Spotify and on YouTube. Please leave a like, leave five stars and you could also leave a comment. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Please, and most important thing, share. And remember, my fellow radicals, stay political.